So I'm going to talk about crop yield and adaptation under climate change and uh, I'm going to cover some issues to do with uncertainty and then towards the end come on to uh, some of the kind of two degrees, four degrees uh, and what are the difference kind of issues. Uh, with thanks here to Debbie Hemming uh, at, the, at the Hadley Centre. So I'm going to talk a little bit first about, about methods. Uh, not a lot on that, just hopefully enough to convince you that the, the methods are sound. Um, then a look at, at assessing the response of crops to warming, so in, t in terms of uh, mean temperature increases. And then uh, a little on, on or the main part really, on using ensemble crop simulation uh, and also analyses of germplasm to assess impacts and adaptation. And th this is the idea of being more systematic in the way that we assess uncertainty. So using perturbed parameter crop uh, simulations, perturbed parameter climate simulations to capture the full range of uncertainty and begin to, to, to move towards being able to say things about probabilities. And the case studies will be sort of mixed up a little between India, China uh, and the one little slide on the end on, on the US. Okay, so methods. Um, the crop model that's used in, in all of the, I think all of the, the slides you're about to see is the general large area model for annual crops. And this slide is just to, to convince you that the, the model can work. Uh, so we've got observed yield in black uh, and model results in red on that, that top plot. Uh, and then some results from Tom Osborne uh, at Reading there and some, some other results using, so that's with a coupled crop climate model actually. And that, um, the results from uh, Cat looking at uh, using uh, satellite rainfall estimates. So hopefully that's, uh, that's enough to sort of make you think, okay, this, there's a crop model and, and it can simulate something about, um, about variability in the current climate and then hopefully something under climate change. Okay, so assessing the response of, of crops to warming first. Let's look, at, uh, let's look back to the, the IPCC um, uh, 2007 report. And this is a graph of mean local temperature uh, change on the x-axis and percentage change in yield on the, on the y-axis. And the different data points here represent different studies. So they've gone through the literature and pulled out a study and says, well, this says yield is going to go down by 20% for this local temperature change. We put that on the, um, on the graph. And you end up with these, these, these four graphs, high and low latitude uh, for maize and wheat. And then you can fit some kind, of, some kind of curve to those. And I mean, the idea is really behind the, the thinking with, with ensemble modeling is this move towards a more systematic attempt to quantify uncertainty rather than going through the literature uh, and collating as this, uh, as this very useful synthesis has done, um, but to do so, to begin to do so in a more systematic way. So I should say the, the, this, this, graph led to, uh, this graph led to the sort of uh, conclusion that there's a kind of response of crop yield that's a, a sort of inverse parabolic shape and that maybe in the, in the uh, low latitudes where we're kind of um, in the lower latitudes yields would be decreasing because we're beyond the optimum and at the higher latitudes maybe we're better off and this was picked up by uh, the Stern Review so a proposed functional form for, for crop yield response to, to mean temperature so I'm going to show some results now from from ensemble modeling uh, that to, to look at this question of the response of crops to mean temperature this is using local mean temperature uh, as the, the IPCC report did. Uh, and we have local mean temperature, again, on the x-axis and percentage change in yield and, and the zero line just highlighted. And what, what I've done here is, is show, the colours show the, the absorbed radiation. So the amount of uh, radiation that the crop absorbs, and obviously the higher this is, then, then the higher you expect the yield to be. 
So the, the, the main result here really is that if you look at the, particularly at the black points, these are the largest decreases in radiation, then you can see that there's pretty much a, a decrease as, as temperature increases. But if you look at the other colours, there are other processes could come into play and, and maybe you don't get this reduction in crop yield at, at, as local mean temperature increases. So, I mean, this makes the point that it can be, um, you can use local uh, temperature to look at some of the processes, the underlying crop growth processes and how they interact uh, with climate and bring into, uh, really combine some crop and climate science to understand uh, some of the processes that are going on. If you shift the x-axis or move it, put on the x-axis uh, global mean temperature, and actually for these simulations I only had uh, May to November, um, so the closest proxy I could get to, to a global mean temperature change, then not surprisingly, the colours all get mixed up and there's no real, you're not really sort of saying anything if you use global mean temperature. Um, so that's looking at, at changes in, in mean yield, but later on in the talk I'll look at changes in extremes of yield and there'll be a, a result which contrasts with that. Okay, so let's think a little bit about, about adaptation and how we can adapt as global mean temperature increases and as the various processes that take place start to, uh, uh, start to have an impact on crop yield. And in order to know how we're going to adapt, we need to know how will climate will change, what the impact of, of climate change is on crops, and then whether or not adaptation is possible. Let's pretend for a minute we know, number one, we can come back to that, um, and just, just think about the other two. So how can we adapt to climate change? And, and we saw in the last session some interesting talks that mentioned uh, the, the use of different crop genotypes to, uh, to adapt to climate change. This is the Global Seed Vault uh, at Svalbard, uh, which opened last year, which contains some enormous number of, of samples of, of, of crop seed to make sure that these varieties are available in the future. They don't just die out. This is preserving the, the tremendous wealth of, of different crop germplasm, some of which we may well need under climate change. If we don't, if we don't have it, we, we can't use it. So there's a real issue of biodiversity uh, and crop uh, genotype biodiversity and the, and the availability of that biodiversity. We can think then about using some of these different varieties to look at if we know exactly how climate is going to change. So that's what I'm doing on, on, this, on this graph. I'm saying this is one particular uh, scenario for India. This is how climate is going, to, is going to change and what happens if we grow a different variety. So that's what these two plots show. So we have a, a variety that's sensitive. In this case, it's heat stress during flowering. So heat stress during flowering is a, a variety that's sensitive to that and a variety that's more tolerant. And these, are, these show the number of years in which the total number of pods setting is below 50%, which is just a, a proxy, really, for saying something like crop failure. The crop is looking like failing because of this, this process in those regions. And what you can see contrasting the two is obviously the area, so the reds, the blue areas aren't affected, the reds are the areas affected, and that's decreasing when you go from sensitive to tolerant, and also the number of years in which that, that process happens and is important, the number of failures decreases. We go from a maximum of 21, so about, about two in three years, down to about one in three. So this is how we can use different crop varieties to, to adapt to climate change if we know how climate is going to change. So on to that question, how is climate going to change and how can we couple our assessments of how climate is going to change with how crops might respond? And this is one example using a very large number of, of crop simulations, using the crop ensembles, 
uh, varying the crop response to climate and varying the, the, the climate response to CO2 also. And this is, again, percentage change. So this is percentage change in yield, and this is count. So you could think of this as a, as a PDF, uh, more or less. So this is a, a histogram of the number of ensemble uh, members that are indicating a particular outcome. And if you just focus on the, this 0% line, this is with no adaptation. Uh, and if we add some adaptation, which if increase in thermal time requirement means something to you, then, then well and good, that's a 10% increase and that's a 20%. Otherwise, just think of it as a different crop variety that is responding to mean temperature in a different way. And as we increase this number, we can move towards to the right of this, of the, of the red line, so that we're not having the, the yield decreases. Um, these simulations, plus some further simulations, suggest that 30% that increase in, in thermal time requirement is what, we're, what may be needed in order to adapt uh, to climate change. So this is from the modelling. We can then look at the field studies, so crops being grown uh, in the field and the results of these, of these various studies uh, that tell us that, uh, and it's, it's, a, it's a very preliminary calculation, so it's a very broad range, unfortunately, but in the germplasm, there's a potential uh, for this crop, this is groundnut in India, for somewhere between a 14 to 40% increase in this number. So this is matching the modelling, which is telling us what happens as we increase this number with what the, the available, what, what the available uh, crop types are. And this suggests some capacity for, for adaptation. So these are the kind of methods that we can use to really get to, to answer these questions of how we can adapt in the context of, of uncertainty. I'd like to move on to a specific case study that, that, uh, that I've completed recently, and this is looking at spring wheat in northeast China. So this is the, this is the model grid here. That's the, the part of northeast China. And this is a region that, uh, as you'll see from this BBC News item, uh, is, is very susceptible to drought and has drought problems indeed at, at the moment. And this has serious uh, implications, obviously, and impacts on, on crop yield. So water availability is a, is a serious issue in this region. So these are some, I apologise for not, not labelling these properly, these are, these are four time series from one realisation and this is crop yield over time for these, uh, this is now quump, the Quump 17 member ensemble if that means anything to you. Uh, so this is, this was A1B, uh, the A1B scenario. The, the blue horizontal lines are, are really arbitrarily placed at the same point on each diagram just to draw your eye to the number of instances where we have crop failure and compare those across the two. So you've got two signals in here. One is a, a trend associated with CO2, uh, elevated CO2 and the CO2 fertilisation effect. And the other is you have these, these instances of crop failure. And the way these, these are organised is on the left-hand side is these two are both rain-fed. These two are both irrigated. So this is adapting by perfect irrigation. The two on the top are a variety that is sensitive to this heat stress uh, uh, effect near flowering that I've talked about already. And these two are, in fact, completely tolerant in this case. So I haven't taken an existing variety. This is more, these are, are, are fully tolerant to that. So you can see as you go from left to right and down and up and down, you get a different number of these extremes. I was particularly interested in this. I really thought something had gone wrong there. For, and I tried various didn't seem to matter what I did, but that last year was, was impossible to, um, to adapt to. 
And so, I mean, this is, I'm sort of throwing this as in as, as, a, as a curiosity, really, because I haven't had time to follow up on it much, but enough to know that what's happening there is a completely different process, not to do with water availability, not to do with extremes of temperature at flowering, but to do with a, a mean temperature increase to which, at least in that simulation, it is difficult to adapt to. So it's this last point here, which is a, uh, a mean seasonal temperature that's higher than any that have been seen uh, in, that, in that time series. So that was quite interesting, and I kind of wanted the time series to carry on a bit further so I could, I could keep looking at that one. Okay, so... What I did next was look at... That, that really is a, a quick look through some of the time series that have been produced through this analysis. But this is a very large number, uh, again, of, of crop simulations and of, and of climate simulations. And what we really need to do is pull that into one analysis and say, OK, what does, what does this say overall? And uh, so this, this graph now is on uh, adaptation options and the next graph is, on, is looking as a function of, of mean temperature at that question. And I've defined here two events. So... Uh, one standard deviation events, crop yield one standard deviation below, below the mean, uh, and two standard deviations below the mean. So this is a more extreme definition of, of crop failure, if you like. And on the left is the percentage of, of harvest failing in that simulation. So this is for all the simulations put together. Um, the green lines in both cases show the baseline failure rate, so you have something to compare to, something like what is happening in the, in the current environment. And as you go from left to right on each graph, you have the uh, sort of increasing amount of adaptation or different kinds of adaptation. So none at all in the, in the left-hand case. Adaptation to this, this heat stress near flowering, adaptation to, to water stress by, via irrigation, and both, which does in both cases a very good job, actually. Um, so you can see how, how it is possible to, to adapt to these, uh, to these processes. This is if you have access to the seed that you need, if you have access to water, if hundreds of things, and we're, we're working on some, some sort of extra bars here for, for socioeconomic kind of analyses, very important. So yes, adaptation is possible, but that's not the same thing as saying, you know, it really will happen and it can happen because people have access to, to what they need. So that's a, a different question. Impacts as a function of, of global and local mean temperature. Um, this was interesting because when I started this, I actually thought, I'm not sure we can use global mean temperature as a, as a proxy on the x-axis for, for the impacts in terms of percentage of harvest failing. I thought it would be like at the start of the talk, if you remember, when I was talking about mean yield and there was a difference between global and local mean temperature and what you, could, what you can say. And really, local mean temperature was the metric you had to use. In this case, I kind of, leaving the room and coming back in again, I thought, well, if I were a, a policymaker, I'd probably look at these and say, well, they're saying something very similar. Um, so it doesn't matter which you use. What I've done here, again, is, is percentage of harvest failing uh, on the, on the y-axis. And they're binned into 0 to 2 degrees change, 2 to 4, 4 to 6, 6 to 8, probably ignore 6 to 8. The number in brackets are the number of instances of that occurring. Right? So that's 56, a very small number compared to these. So I wouldn't, I wouldn't really place any credence on that, on that far right point. But certainly here, what we can see is an increase in the... The median, the red line is the median. Uh, the median percentage of harvest failing increases, but also, interestingly, at a, at a steeper rate, we have a, an increase in the worst-case scenario. So an increase um, up to sort of 40% of harvest failing at the extreme of that scenario. So the worst-case scenario is particularly getting worse, if that makes sense. Okay, so 
what about, is there any scenario dependence on this? So I wanted to look at, I wanted to try and address a little this issue we're interested in the conference of, of uh, as well as looking at what do, what do impacts mean more locally at different temperature ranges, are there any thresholds in the system? And so I took individual Crump ensemble members and restricted the analysis, the same analysis as before, to those individual members to see was that, was that the sort of large ranges masking any, any interesting behaviour. And what you can see here is essentially irrespective of, you can talk about when, when does four degrees of climate change come uh, and does it come sooner and does it come later. But what this is saying is actually you can have, you can have sort of thresholds within, the impacts can happen at, at different times, the impacts for crops. So this is, again, percentage of harvest failing and increase in global mean temperature. And uh, these sort of contrast in this particular scenario. It doesn't get too bad until near the end. But in this one, for example, two to four is already looking quite bad. So I guess I could use this to say that if the climate modelers could narrow the uncertainties, then um, we could get a better handle on this. But actually, I think there's a, there's a, a better way to think about that, which I'll, which I'll come on to very near the end. So one, one slide on a contrasting spring wheat region, so moving away from northeast China and thinking about northern US. And I didn't, I didn't use the, the Crump Ensemble members individually here. What I've done instead is, is artificially uh, change the climate, if you like, and just use some, some basic crop science method that's been used before, uh, a basic analysis, together with a very large database uh, from CIMIT, one of the CG centers, um, to look at the number of varieties that could be used uh, under, under climate change in, in, uh, in the, the northern US. So current climate plus naught degrees, 87% of the varieties in this database and five out of the top five were suitable. So there's, there's plenty of choice as to what variety you grow. Plus two degrees, 68% of varieties still quite high and all of the top five, when I say top five, I mean the most commonly found within this database. And when you go to four degrees, then that's down to round about half of the varieties and, and only two of the top five. So this is talking about the narrowing of options that, that we have in order to adapt. Okay, so um, move on to some conclusions. So, so at the beginning with the mean temperature uh, graphs, I showed that statements regarding mean crop yield as a function of, of global warming uh, may be difficult to make. So scientists says maybe, shocking. Um, but, but what we've seen is that actually statements regarding the impact of extremes may be more robust, or at least in this case. And, and obviously the impact, there's nothing new in talking about the, the importance of the impact of extremes on, on crops. And this has been an important research area for, uh, for a long time. But crop failure here tending to increase with warming. So thinking back to, to that graph and the worst case scenario increasing particularly fast. Um, interesting thing here is... Because we're thinking those are at, at, the, at the extremes, so in terms of statistical significance and sampling, there's an issue of really needing to get to grips with the statistics more to understand, the, to understand those, those sort of extremes and integrate statistics and impacts and, and, uh, and climate modelling to really take a more integrated look at all this. And I'll come back to that in my final slide. We've also seen that the location and existence of thresholds in the response of crop failure to warming can depend on the climate scenario. So it, it, in other words, there's some, uh, there's some dependence on the particular climate that evolves uh, and it, it, it isn't always, it isn't tying down a, a sort of plus four degrees set of impacts to, to something that happens and when it will happen 
may not be that easy. You need to think in detail about the, the crop response. So this suggests we need a holistic treatment of climate models, impacts models, and, and, uh, and statistics. So in terms of adaptation, in spite of the inherent uncertainties, I think we can see that adaptation strategies such as irrigation and heat tolerant varieties, you can identify them and say, well, look, how much of an effect would this have? As I say, different to saying, does someone have access to those varieties? But we can use them to look at our adaptation options. Um, and adaptation from this study, adaptation to the means and extremes of four degrees is possible, as I say, in the sense of, of, of uh, biophysically possible. Uh, but adaptation options do become more limited in the number of genotypes case that we saw for the northern US and decreasingly effective as global mean temperature rises. I don't think I showed that graph, but that's the case. Obviously, it becomes decreasingly effective. My final slide is just, uh, in a sense, what I've been hinting at and leading to by saying how the, the, the crop modelling, impacts modelling and statistical modelling communities need to come together. That's exactly what we're going to do. And we have a project we're very excited about starting in January uh, called EQUIP that's thinking about uh, uh, looking at end-to-end -end a look at climate modelling right down to impacts modelling, an integrated look at the, the uncertainties and also thinking about decision-making and how we can use these models and take the, the, the information out of these models to, to inform decision-making. And, uh, yeah, I think that's all I have to say, so thank you.